What's up, everybody? Welcome to Suplex Retweet Extra. My name is David Hockney, and this is the Wednesday Night Wars, uh, the weekly show where we discuss the ratings war between AEW and NXT. And joining me for the second week in a row is a man who is in the midst of currently planning his stag do. So make sure you've got your drinks at the ready and your boxing gloves too, because we know this guy's very good at punching. It is Stephen Wilson. Ah, I love it, Dave. Fantastic, yes. Uh, if you would like to send your donations for drinks or money, then please ask me directly for my PayPal details, and that'd be lovely if you'd like to <laughs> contribute to the Suplex Retweet snag. Uh, you heard it here, folks. Uh, all the more reason to tune into Wednesday Night Wars. So, um, if you're listening for the first time, make sure you're uh, following us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Suplex Retweet. Facebook, we have our community page, so just search for us there. And you can find all our great content on all good podcasting sites, including iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, and all good Android podcasting sites. And be sure to catch our regular weekly content every Thursday on our main feed, Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet, on all those podcasting sites. And if you want to get more details about interviews, articles, and everything else in between, make sure you visit suplexretweet.com. Now, Stevie, you were on the show with me last week, so are you ready to take up the mantle with AEW and NXT again? Yes, definitely. It's an interesting week, David, with the fallout from TakeOver Portland and mm-hmm. uh, uh, what's it, uh, AEW on the go-home pretty much uh, two weeks now away, less than two weeks now away to the next big pay-per-view. Yep, next week's uh, AEW's go-home show for Revolution and we are in the aftermath of TakeOver Portland. So, But before we get into our top threes, I think it might be worth maybe just having a quick recap of you know, what we thought of this this week as a whole. Because AEW, I think, has probably put on one of the most well-rounded shows they've done in a very long time. And like, I was I was glued to my seat just watching that entire show. Yeah, I mean, AEW look like, since the turn of the year, they look refreshed. They've obviously took the Christmas period and kind of reflected mm-hmm. on that first three weeks. Of public. There's a lot of rumours going about that Tony Khan is taking a much more hands-on role in terms of he's dictating more of the creative as opposed to the previous rumours. Obviously, it's rumours. I don't really know the backstage going on. That a lot of the guys from the Elite were kind of doing their own thing. Mm-hmm. So you can now kind of see the shows a lot more, you know, together. Well, as previously, before in the end of 2019, that they will look like it was like four or five different shows meshed into one, sh- uh, one two-hour s- uh, block, if you got what I mean there, David. Yeah, yeah that, that's kind of the criticism we've been having with AEW in its early days. It's like they're just trying to jam too much into the space of two hours and, you know, storylines are intertwining with each other. There just didn't seem to be like a clear direction. But now I think they finally nailed it down. And especially with a, a pay-per-view in a, a week on Saturday, it's going to be it's going to be sort of building a lot of steam going forward. Yeah, I mean, I think the whole NXT, AEW kind of head-to-head type thing, it's a lot of different, you analyse it a lot differently because obviously the pay-per-view is, 
the takeovers and whatever AEW's doing will land on different times. Mm-hmm. So obviously with this week, we've got a show after a takeover, which if you're well familiar with your NXT past, is always their weakest shows. Mm-hmm. While as you've got an AEW roster and the content who are well steamrolling towards a pay-per-view. So that you got to analyse them a wee bit differently from that point of view. Mm-hmm. Because NXT are pretty much starting off the next road to Tampa. Well, yep. AEW are pretty much steamrolling full momentum to a pay-per-view that looks like it's been well built up so far. Yeah, and I think it's evident, you know, you said NXT is sort of in a bit of a hangover phase, like they always are with a t- after immediately after a takeover. So their content this week did feel a little bit sort of low-key. But at the same time, I think we got some great matches and seeds have been planted for for potential future storylines and especially now that we're on the road to Wrestlemania. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's gonna, it, there's, there's so many concoctions going on in terms of the overall product on both sides. You know, there's, it's definitely the most refreshing night of the week for wrestling mm-hmm. in the current time. Yeah, so lots to look forward to. And, you know, but let's, uh, let's analyse this week and see what were our favourite moments and what, uh, what else occurred. So we'll start with our top three undeniable moments from AEW this week. And at number three, we'll start with your pick, Stevie. You've gone with the tag team championship match between the Lucha Brothers and the champions Kenny Omega and Hangman Page. We've seen, we've talked about the Lucha Brothers before and some of us are actually quite surprised that they're not already in possession of the, the tag team championships considering they were not only hot favourites in the tournament but also, you know, potential favourites to, you know, be to be leading the brand's tag team division. Like, what's been your opinion of them so far? Lucha Brothers are, are two highly and two very athletic individuals in Pentagon and Ray Phoenix. They are very, very great to watch in the ring. You're not going to have a slow, methodical pace with them. They pretty much go 60 mile an hour every match, you know. Ray Phoenix in particular is an absolute amazing to watch. Uh... My one criticism of them, which a lot of people would probably have about them, see when you watch their matches, you see there's a lot of points in their offense where they just look like they're doing it for the stunt, for the big, mm. for the big move. There's one point in this particular match where Pentagon, it goes to do a move, it goes, it comes off the ropes, aiming for Hangman, even though Hangman's clearly moved to the adjacent ropes. Yep. But yet Pentagon's went towards the middle of the ring, and Hangman's been away for about you know, probably a good few seconds. Mm. It's mainly just to set up Hangman coming in doing the move. I can't remember the exact move now, David, off the top of my head now I'm saying it. But they're fantastic to watch, but I think they're they're probably at the moment more for that whole big pop, big spot effect. You know what? I don't don't disagree with you. Um, I'm not sure about the spot in particular you're referring to, but there was another one that actually caught my attention, and it was when Kenny Omega was in the... was sitting down in the corner... And they were setting up to do a, a catapult, catapult cannonball sort of move, and you could see, uh, I think it was, um, I think it was Pentagon that was on the mat, and you could see he was sort of slowly edging himself mover closer to Kenny to sort of get the right distance. And then when Phoenix goes to do the move, you know, by that point Kenny could have got out of the corner. But I, I see what you mean about you know them trying to set up spots just for the purpose of you know being high-flying, spectacular, and almost like stuntmen in their own way. We talked, uh, obviously, at the start of the show there about uh, AEW finding their groove. In the end of 2019, it looked like it was a bit... Co- it wasn't uh, joined up as much. And 
a lot of that when a big thing that came out was apparently Chris Jericho kind of gave a talk backstage according mm-hmm. to a lot of sources and one of the things he was critical of was the the Lucha Brothers not really doing tag team uh, etiquette properly essentially I obviously noticed a lot last year that they were never actually tagging themselves in and out they just came out in and out whenever they wanted yeah so that was a type of thing so they they are very very good they just kind of they're still not kind of doing the kind of American style of wrestling mm. they're still wrestling as if they're you know in AAA so it's kind of like you know inmates running the asylum in a way you know they're sort of just doing their own thing without sticking to a structure yeah it's it's kind of like I mean I don't I don't I watch a lot of Lucha Underground and AAA myself David so I'm not sure how they kind of work their tag team matches mm-hmm. but obviously it's a lot different in you know American wrestling or yeah. in European wrestling and the western side of the world as a whole so again yeah, again, that was another criticism we've discussed here on Wednesday Night Wars before, is that the tag team matches just felt a bit felt a bit insane. You know, there was no structure to them, and I think Lucha Brothers have been featured in quite a lot of them. So I think that's a very a very valid point. Uh, but sort of shifting over to the other team as well, to the champions themselves, Kenny Omega and Hangman Page. Like, we've talked about Kenny Omega's booking, you know, on a regular TV show now, whereas, you know, when he was wrestling in New Japan... He was very much the showcase talent. You know, he would he would only wrestle sporadically and in sort of marquee matches. How do you think he's done so far? You know, you know, even though he's carrying himself as a champion now, how do you think his TV bookings compared to you know his time in New Japan? See, as much as I, I really enjoy him and Hangman as a team, I think they kind of work very well together because obviously they've got the chemistry from being part of the elite for so many years. Mm-hmm. Part of me though still feels. Kenny Omega should be doing... He should be higher up on the, the totem pole. He's arguably the best wrestler in the world. Uh, he's pro, he'll, he'll be in most people's top five. You can understand him maybe being a bit selfless because he is part of, the, obviously, the VP team. Mm-hmm. So he maybe doesn't want to book himself to the moon. But at the same time, he's Kenny freaking Omega. Yeah. He should not be relegated to a tag team feud. Like when you when you hear the name Kenny Omega, you think all these marquee matches that he's had with, you know, Tetsuya Naito, Kazuchika Okada, like all these six star classics you've you've seen in Japan. Like everybody's hyping him up to be, you know, this is the guy you must watch when you're watching AEW. But you know, you've said it best. You know, he's sort of been sort of knocked down a few pegs when he's in the tag team division, and his, his partnership with Hangman Page, it definitely seems. You know, you know, obviously they've got that history of being in the elite, but you still have to. <laughs> Would you still say that you know they've still kind of got a bit of a uh, a bit of a frosty relationship as a tag team? Oh yeah, definitely. Because we've saw over the last number of months, Hangman's kind of distanced himself a lot more from the rest of the group. Mm-hmm. He obviously kind of feels that he is the the bottom of the, the bottom of the ladder, which is not not the worst place when you consider the other four who the other four are and Kenny, Cody, and the Bucks. Yep. So he's obviously got a bit of frustration, but it's, he, I think, has benefited so much from being in this tag team mm-hmm. because the big criticism with Hangman early on was he was kind of starting to get a wee bit shoved down our throats a wee bit at the beginning in a similar way, ooh, that's not, in a similar way to what uh, people say Roman Reigns is. Mm-hmm. Kind of the talent's there, we know the talent's there, but maybe he was pushed too soon. So, we kind of see now in WWE with Roman, 
there's a lot more appreciation for him than yep. the mother was, you know, back in 2015 when he won the Rumble and he was feared with Brock. I feel like Hangman needs something like that. And this tag team with Kenny and the eventual feud that we're pretty certain that we're going to see at some point, probably sooner rather than later, mm-hmm. will only do him the, the, the world of good. Oh, definitely, yeah. I, I can obviously, like, we'll, we'll, we'll discuss uh, their next feud sort of uh, a wee bit later on, but yeah, I can definitely see Hangman, you know, sort of growing into this much more outsider-style storyline as we go forward. But I forgot to say as well, you put this as number three in your undeniable rankings. I had this as number two, largely because of the amount of crazy spots towards the sort of last few minutes of that match. In particular, like, what did you make of Pentagon's Canadian Destroyer on Kenny Omega? Oh, he, he delivers a lovely pile driver of any sorts you know he's got mm. a lovely cradle package pile driver as well uh he's a guy see the thing about lucha brothers is yeah they've obviously been positioned more as a tag team but you could easily chuck one of them in a high top level feud and they wouldn't look out of place i mean there's a fantastic match david that i'd recommend between kenny omega and ray phoenix for, uh, from triple a last year mm-hmm. where kenny omega beat phoenix for the triple a championship did he not carry the title into AEW before? Or was it at least acknowledged that he did? Who, Kenny? Yeah. He had a match with Jack Evans on Dark for the championship. Right. I think they're kind of, from what I've seen, Tony Khan's really keen on kind of not showcase. He's, obviously, they've got the relationship with Triple A, but I don't think he wants to showcase their titles. To yeah. Demean, to demean their own titles. That's part of the reason, I think, as well, why we don't see uh, Moxley coming out with the IWGP US title. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um... And you're right about, you know, the Lucha Brothers are fantastic singles competitors on their own. Like, remember we saw uh, Christopher Daniels go up against Pentagon Jr. Given the during the tournament when Daniels was taken out and then Scorpio Sky had to replace him? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's got, they are both absolutely fantastic. Pentagon put on some fantastic matches back in, I think it was 2018 now, on Impact. Mm-hmm. Where it was kind of his breakout to a lot of the American audience. Some of the stuff they was pulling, they, he was the two of them when they were that role they had an impact for pulling out was absolutely sublime. Some and I think sooner rather than later, if they're not going to put the belts on them, they should probably give them both something individually to do, like they yeah. kind of teased a couple a couple of months ago. Yep. Uh, well, uh, you know what? I think it was a fantastic match to be featuring on this week's, especially when you've got a tag team match still to take place at Revolution, and that brings me on to my number three undeniable moment of this week and that is the the opening contest which was the tag team battle royal now this battle royal i actually really enjoyed because it was slightly different compared to what we're usually seeing in wwe when we see a tag team battle royal like in this case both members of the team had to go out to be eliminated not instead of just the one person Mm -hmm. because that was the rule with wwe if one person goes the team goes but in this case both members of both members had to go and it, it made some really good storytelling and booking throughout the entirety of the match. Like, Nick Jackson, for example, gets eliminated around sort of halfway through, and Matt Jackson ends up going the distance to win the whole thing. But what I really liked about this is, you know, they, last week we discussed how heavily, how heavily featured AEW's tag team division truly is, and getting to see them in this battle royal. Like, what was your impression of it? Uh, it was good because we have obviously we've mentioned in the past you, you've talked to everybody in this show David about how good a lot of the tag teams are in AEW and everybody mm-hmm. will acknowledge their tag team division is stacked but there has been a lot of points where we've not kind of seen 
guys for prolonged periods of time. One of the examples, Private Party. Mm-hmm. Started off like a, like absolutely a train house on fire. And then we've kind of not seen them very, very featured so far in 2020. They got a good wee rub in this, ho- this Battle Royal. Uh, Butcher and the Blade looked strong at points. Mm-hmm. Uh, the but- Butcher's the big guy, the big one, isn't he? Yeah, he's the sort of bigger one with the giant tash, yeah. Yeah, he's the, I, can't, I, can, I can never tell uh, what wins which to him, but uh, yeah. he had a lot of dominant mode. He had that big face-off of uh, Luchasaurus. Aye. Which the crowd... Butcher came out very well in that match, yeah. Yeah, he, he looked strong. I mean, some of his moves weren't exactly crisp. You know, he looked a bit. some of them looked a bit rough, but in terms of his general demeanour, he looked a presence. Yeah. Um, you know, we had... Some, there was some clever tag team tactics as well from both Proud and Powerful and the um, Silver and Reynolds, part the, the Dark Order duo. Mm-hmm. They were quite clever in the way that they didn't really go in there straight off, which for a heel tactic was very clever as well. There was one actual aspect, David, I've seen online that I don't know if you kind of came across. Uh, there was, on the recent episode of Being the Elite, there was a backstage... Uh, you know, conversation that they had filmed between Hangman Page, I believe it was, and the Hybrid Two, mm-hmm. where you know, I don't know, the, there was talk that what they kind of played off of was Hangman Page told the Hybrid Two how to target the Young Bucks, mm-hmm. and there's a point in it where you see the Hybrid Two hit a low blow on one of the Jackson Brothers, yep, one of the Bucks, and they kind of played into that a wee bit on social media as well. Hope Hangman coming out saying, "Oh, that was me. I told them to do that." So. That's a not bad way if they're going to incorporate being the elite into their product. It's not something you need to see, but it's a good wee note for people who do watch the being the elite as well. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I think, I mean, just when I heard that, you know, it would be Omega and Hangman versus the Young Bucks for Revolution, I think, okay, this is great. You know, this could help, you know, it helps showcase the Bucks because they're ranked, I think it's number two in the tag teams at the minute. The rankings confuse me, David. The one, one of the things I really hate about AEW, I think they're absolutely, <laughs> ter- they're absolutely terrible. Oh, I, yeah. I, I, that may just be from our uh, math stats background, you know. I really uh, we have purely organised ranking. We have the same background, you know. We both did the same math and stats degree. Yeah, but that, it annoys me from that. I, like, I love rankings. I love rankings that are well constructed. It's kind of that way. Their rankings just look a bit jumbled. Uh, but yeah, so we're getting a being the, being the elite tag team match for Revolution, which obviously is great. And I liked how we sort of showcased, like, you know, specific aspects. One team I think actually really had a good showing was Best Friends, uh, Chuck Taylor and Trent, where I think Trent was on the verge of elimination, then Orange Cassidy does a, like what Big E did for Kofi Kingston in 2016 or 2015, I think. I think Best Friends have got their place on the roster. I don't see them as a top team in a division, mm-hmm. but I think they have that kind of place in the middle kind of thing. They're well liked by the fans. Yep. I think they can do a good job in helping put other teams over. Because they yep. they're both very good in the ring. You know, they're, they're fantastic. Orange Cassidy is oh. very good when he wrestles. He's a great character. And when he actually gets the chance to go, he can go. So they've yeah, got I a place in the division. But they're not a top team. You know, they're not the top team. When you look at the top teams in the division, you've obviously got the Bucks there. Uh, Proud and Powerful should have a, a run a, another shot at the title at some point in time. So there's tally teams in there for the top one. I just... I like, I like best friends, but I just don't see them as a tag champion at any time soon. Mm. Were you shocked that SCU were actually the first ones to be eliminated, uh, get, provided there was a distraction from the Dark Order? Uh, no, I was actually... F- I thought that was kind of perfectly done if, for if they're going to do this whole feud. One interesting part about it was um, 
Daniels is nowhere to be seen again this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, he obviously we've not seen him since he went backstage to try and deal, uh, quote, deal with the Dark Order, and then he never came back when the Dark Order actually came out. So adds to the intrigue that he could be the one leading the Dark Order as well. I don't know if you actually noticed as well, David, but at the point where the Dark Order were fighting with SEU through the crowd and through the backstage, uh, one guy who you saw backstage was a uh, Raven. Oh yeah, there was rumours of Raven floating around backstage. I, I did see that. Yeah, yeah. The kind of the camera kind of goes to him at the point where SCU and the Dark Order are having a scrap. Mm-hmm. So that yeah. adds a bit of intrigue as well because Raven is very known for leading these sort of cults. Mm-hmm. I mean, just, the- these are just more and more rumours floating around, like who could be the exalted one. You know, he's just another name thrown into the mix alongside. You know, we have Brody Lee, Matt Hardy. I mean. They're, they're keeping us guessing. They're doing an excellent job of it. Yeah, my one thing with Matt Hardy is, is Matt Hardy doesn't seem logical, but over the last number of years, when you see wrestlers give such direct hints on their social media, mm-hmm. it never usually leads to anything. Sasha Banks is a great example. The amount of hints Sasha Banks was, drop, was dropping, and then she showed up back in WWE in the summer and signed the new contract. So I'm not 100% sure about Matt Hardy being it. I think Brody Lee's a lot more of a realistic bet than Matt Hardy myself personally. Uh, he's been a lot quieter lately. I think, you know, if I was a betting man, I'd be leaning more towards him. Yeah, I'd say so myself, personally. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, yeah, that led us to elite an, an all-elite tag team championship match for Revolution. And going on to your number two undeniable moment, because that's two of, my, two of my rankings already covered. Your number two, uh, you've gone with John Moxley versus Jeff Cobb. Now we saw the we saw the debut of Jeff Cobb last week, but this was his his sort of debut match, um, and this was actually I have to be honest, this was the first time I've seen Jeff Cobb compete on TV before. Like I've never seen him anywhere else, but I've heard a lot of good things about him, and I think he, even though he sort of lost his opening match, this was a really good showing for him because he still comes out looking really strong. Jeff Cobb to me has a fantastic presence. I think he looks a star. He's got all the tools. The man can chuck you about like something else. Mm-hmm. His, uh, his ability with a suplex is... Um, I think it's quite it's good to see him debuting in AEW with Taz on the commentary booth. I was, just about, I was just about to get to that as well. Like, it was just such a breath of fresh air to have Taz on commentary, a man who was dubbed the human suplex machine, uh, yeah. talking about a guy who basically is his own suplex machine. Yeah, Cobb has got fantastic credentials. I first saw him live at ICW Shug's house party in 2018 when he took on Arden Echo. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a past winner of the, the Battle of Los Angeles tournament at PWG. He won that in 2018. He had a, a very solid match with uh, Will Osprey at the G1 Supercard, I believe it was, last year, when mm-hmm. he beat Will Osprey, actually. To, I think he combined the Never Openweight t- Championship and the whatever title he had in Ring of Honor at the time. I can't remember off the top of my head. I think he's a fantastic wrestler. And if AEW could bring him in a lot more, I think it'd be a great signing for him. And I also think he helped. He was a great foil for Moxley here. Oh yeah, definitely. He gave Moxley an excellent rub, knowing that he's, you know, he's still got the momentum uh, going against the Jericho in the inner circle. But now that you've listed all of Jeff Cobb's accolades, you know, he's a he's a renowned competitor all over the world. He's won multiple accolades. He's competed in ICW, and you know, this is. This makes me just want to see him more. But I've also heard rumours as well that his contract situation with AEW, apparently it may allow him to still compete in New Japan. Uh, yeah. what's, 
What do you, is that, um, have you seen that before? Floating around? Yeah, it's something I've seen quite a lot. The thing, uh, Jeff Cobb originally signed with Ring of Honor, apparently, according to, you know, a lot of rumours online, for two reasons, one of which was Ring of Honor's relationship with New Japan. It would allow him to work for both. The other one, apparently, was the influence of Christopher Daniels. Mm-hmm. Because Christopher Daniels was very prominent in Ring of Honor at that point in time. So now that Christopher Daniels is part of the, uh, the if he's part of the team... The management team, I think, in some way in AEW as well as being an on-screen talent. Mm-hmm. So that could be an interesting sway for them. It'd be interesting if they gave him that sort of contract that allows him to go to Japan, the likes of which that Moxley and Jericho have. Because as good as I think he is, I don't think he's got the same star power as a Moxley and a Jericho. Not like not at this point anyway. Mm. Maybe I wonder if it, that's just because you know they've both been featured on the grand stage that is WWE, so they're probably more recognizable talents at this stage. Whereas Jeff Cobb, you know, he's not been featured on the most mainstream of outlets, so maybe less people would recognize who he is. Yeah, I think that's potentially because he got his original. He's an Olympian as well, and he got his original breakout in Lucha Underground mm-hmm. before he went to Ring of Honor and before he started doing the PWG stuff. So he's probably not as well known to people who are maybe more a WWE fan type idea. He's not got that same name power to that, but AEW could be a good stage for him. It's just whether that's something he would want to do because he's, he's Ring of Honor status at the moment as he's on a date-by-date basis mm-hmm. with them. So he's not got a fully-fledged contract with that one. So it depends what he wants to do. It's all down to Jeff Cobb at this point, I'd say. Well, the world's his oyster, and I suppose, you know, if people are giving him good offers, you know, I'd say just take what he can, what works best for him. But mm-hmm. just sort of just going into the match itself, I think this was actually, it put, it painted Moxley in a very sort of different light, because when we've seen him in AEW, you know, he's very much in-your-face brawler style, but this one, I think he had to be a bit more, bit more methodical, because we've seen him do some more technical holds, some more submission-based holds, and it looked like, you know, that Jeff Cobb was a, a really strong opponent to go up against for a guy like Moxley. Oh, the finish, you know, itself, it spoke about that aspect of it, David, because obviously uh, Moxley had to beat him with a, you know, a, a, a sneaky roll-up type idea from a, from a move that Cobb did. So, from, a, from a superplex, yeah, which is a really good transition as well. Yeah, so it's a, it is a good a fantastic link-up. So it showed that Cobb was a match for Moxley. Moxley had to dig into his arsenal a wee bit to beat him which obviously keeps them both strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, if It's been interesting to see if Cobb kind of shows up again next week because of the way the kind of this segment kind of ended. He was kind of left astray a wee bit, left in the middle, kind of. So it be interesting yeah. if, you know, this is kind of his dates for AEW at this present time. Mm-hmm. See, I have a feeling, you know, given that, you know, Jericho is facing Moxley at Revolution... I have a sneaking suspicion there's going to be quite a lot of interference in this match. I, I think it'll be a, a very shenanigan-filled match, which suits Jericho at this stage in time. I don't think Jericho is a 20-minute big match nowadays. I think he's, no. I think he's perfectly suited to TV, but on pay-per-view, if he's going to be main eventing, you know, the way he kind of AEW, or even WWE, NXT, a lot of the big companies their main events now they don't really go short unless it's something like a Goldberg Brock Lesnar type thing that WWE do mm-hmm. so they're going to have to find some way to kind of one get a decent length of match out of Jericho and two find a way of continuation for this feud because Moxley's a big star so if he was to lose clean here it would kind of halt his momentum a wee bit 
Yeah, that's why I'm thinking there's going to be quite a bit of interference because, you know, and you brought up an excellent point, you know, these established veterans, you know, who are sort of like in their 40s now, you know, they've had like 20 plus year careers. They're not going to, you're not going to expect them to pull off, you know, five star half hour matches anymore. You know, you're, they're going to be working a much lighter, lighter matches now. And that's why I think the interference is going to play in because I think yeah. Moxley is going to try and carry most of the match. I mean, David, obviously we talked about the match, but my favourite part of this whole thing was the the, the bit after it, mm-hmm. where um, we saw the return of Darby Allen. Oh yeah, Darby Allen came back, yeah. Because I personally feel, I think Darby Allen's one of the most captivating characters on AEW. Agreed, yeah. I think he just looks fantastic, he's got something different, and I really like the stuff he's doing with this, with because he's apparently can't talk properly because of what Sammy Guevara did to him. Yeah, was it like a, he did the whole guillotine move with the skateboard? Yeah, so he's kind of just got like flashcards coming out now to kind of go convey himself, which I think perfectly suits Darby Allen's character. One I actually think quickly, David, about that we missed about Sammy Guevara actually is that he died for his sins, for his sins, in that <laughs> tag team big. battle royal <laughs> with that yeah. super kick. That's yeah, funny. I remembered. Yeah, who, who, who was it that super kicked him? Was it uh, Trent? No, it was Matt Jackson. Oh, Matt, right, yeah. It was in the closest stages of the match when he springboarded on and he got super kicked. But it looks like they're going to be doing Darby Allen and Sammy Guevara revolution now. I'd like to see that, definitely. Which should be, I think that's a solid, solid match to either, to kick off a show, potentially. Mm-hmm. The likely was... tag match, but it's a solid match to have in there. Yeah, and Dustin got involved as well because he's got a match with Jake Hager at Revolution too. Yeah, it should be interesting how this goes. I mean, three in a circle match is confirmed. Mm-hmm. You could see it'll probably end up playing into. You'll probably find there'll be one win a piece going into the, that the championship match to kind yeah. of feud it as these guys versus in a circle. So it, it'll be, it's an interesting build, I think. But I, I really like Darby Allen's return. Mm-hmm. Now, just before we go into our, both our number one picks, because we've both chosen the same thing, just to put in a few honourable mentions as well. AEW have now launched a, a podcast called Unrestricted. It's hosted by referee Aubrey Edwards and Tony Chavon and their first guest was John Moxley yeah it was a, I found a lot about this uh, interview with Moxley had in the podcast where he said he was he was worried how uh, he was going to how fans would think of him after how his WWE run went, ended in the last year mm-hmm. but I think it's a kind of interesting thing they seem to be using Chavon a lot more in these type of roles as opposed mm-hmm. to on commentary which I think is quite good I would like to see Shivani eventually lead the commentary on Dynamite because I think JR's time is past. Yeah, I think you know, um, as much as you know, um, as much as I respect JR as a commentator, I think he sort of get to that point. Maybe it's time to just sort of wind down a bit. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think he's. I think he's. T- he looks, uh, you know, like he's not up to date with the product anymore. Mm. Uh, while as Shivani still looks like he's got a bit of grasp on it. Taz and Excalibur are. Very good together. I uh, want to see more of Taz, definitely. Taz, the best uh, episode commentary, if you look purely on commentary, the best episode AEW's done was his debut on Dynamite. I thought him and Excalibur together were fantastic. No, not yeah. Dynamite, sorry, on Dark. Yeah, definitely. They've uh, they've got a lot of good chemistry together. And I think that's what made SmackDown in 2004, 2005 so good, is like Taz having really good chemistry with Michael Cole. And that's why I really enjoyed SmackDown back in the day. And he's still got, like, even... 15 years later, he's still got it. Oh, definitely. He looks good. He's, he's, he's great on it. I think he's fantastic. Yep. So the other honourable mention we've got is that we had also had a women's match. We had Shanna going up against Chris Statlander. 
Uh, and what was kind of like a very sort of Dragon Ball Z type match because Shana was wearing that sort of Goku themed attire and she was going up against the alien that is uh, Statlander. See, David, a lot of people might call me a bit of stick in the mud for this. I think Chris Statlander's a fantastic wrestler, but mm-hmm. I hate this gimmick. Yeah, I'm not overly fond of the alien gimmick, it's, but... It's, it's not a gimmick for this time. Mm-mm. Maybe if she, See if this gimmick had been run, you know, in the late 80s, early 90s. This gimmick would have fit in fantastically. Maybe yeah. even in the early 2000s, but... Well, 2020, it's just not a gimmick for this time. Chris Statlander is a fantastic wrestler. I think... She deserves a lot better than what she's had in AEW so far. First with the Nightmare Collective stuff, which thankfully is over. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a big on this alien gimmick. Uh, although I do like the, te- I like the tease of her and um, Nyla Rose facing soon. No, definitely. I, she's, I think she's definitely going to be one of Nyla Rose's first challengers. Uh, absolutely. But one comment I will say about the, the alien gimmick for Statlander... Do you think it kind of appeals to potential... Like, I might go on a, out on a limb here and say, do you think this might appeal to a younger audience? You know, trying to get trying to get a younger a younger audience in for AEW? I don't think a younger audience for that time. I understand where you're coming from, David, but I don't think the younger audience is AEW's prime target, given a lot of the stuff that's happened in last week. I mean, we mentioned with the uh, MGF's match with Jungle Boy, where... Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the antics MGF is doing towards Brandy Rhodes. Yeah. Uh, there's, very, there's a few bits of swearing going on in it. You know, it's not a family-oriented show, the way it's got at the moment. So, I could see that. I, I could see the logic in that, but I don't think it's going to do what they need to. It's, they've got far too many parts of the product that are aimed against that. Uh, well, we, we might pick up on it again in next week's show, but I'll, uh, I'll definitely make a note of that. Um, but now we come to our number one undeniable moment for this week, and we've both chosen this one. And it is obviously, it's the main event, the steel cage match between Cody and Wardlow. Yes. Now, this was the final stipulation for MJF for Cody to get his match of them at Revolution, which has now been confirmed, is that the third stipulation is that this match had to take place and Cody had to win. And it was also Wardlow's debut match in AEW because every other time we've seen him, he's always been in that suit and Burberry tie. So how did just off the bat, like, what was your impression of Wardlow carrying himself in the ring, let alone a cage match? Uh, above expectations, I didn't expect a lot from him. To be brutally honest, you know, I don't really know a lot about him. I think he's they built they kind of built him up when he first came in as a big deal, you know, with the vignettes that they showed at All Out. And he's pretty much just been like a hired gun. But mm-hmm. I was quietly impressed with some of the stuff he did. I thought his swanton from the top was very Wolfgang-like. I yep. thought that was a good, uh, the best way of putting it. Definitely his he, best spot, yeah. Yeah, he came across strong in the few bits we showed of him. But he was the... See, for this the whole kind of stipulation to this one, I think he was the perfect foil for it. Given, you know, he's a big man. He's a big dominating presence. And... He was able to kind of throw Cody about into the, in this type of cage environment. Mm-hmm. Like just to sort of talk about the cage for a moment, like that cage was pretty damn impressive. Like it was like, not... a, it was like a hell in a cell without the roof. Exactly. Yeah, it reminded me so much of hell in a cell. But it was like I think JR Cohen commentary said it weighed about six tons. It was twenty feet tall from the top to, and it and it went all the way to the floor as well, not just to the 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 ring apron. Yeah, they have to, if they want to do these traditional matches AEW 
they probably should put their own spin on it to kind of differentiate it from the crowds. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, uh, what's TNA used to do that quite well, uh, quite well, and also quite unsuccessfully back in the day. They would do variations on traditional matches. So yep. AW need to do that a wee bit differently. And I thought doing this with the cage was a nice touch. Yeah, they did excellent with it. And there was also like a little bit of a gap between the ring and the cage itself. And that played into a very good spot that I think Wardlow did with Cody, in which Cody, I think, was thrown into the cage. He sort of slumped down between the ring and the cage. And then he used it like a like a sandwich. And that just looked brutal to watch. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's different. And it, you, got, you can do those sorts of elements with it. And again, when you're trying to book Cody as this, a bit more of an underdog, mm-hmm. Doing spots like that will help build the sympathy with the crowd, especially given the location that they had this match in. You know, he's oh yeah, in Atlanta as well, his home state. His home state, yeah. So he he had the crowd on his side regardless, but to build it up a wee bit more to make the crowd think he's going to get absolutely pummeled again, Mm -hmm. those wee bits, those those smallest wee things, work perfectly. And I, you know me, David, I'm very, I've been very vocal in the past of how I've not been very fond of Cody's constant digs in the past that he's former employee mm-hmm. but I feel like especially over the last two months he's not doing that as much he's just focusing on his own product and his own character mm-hmm. and in that time Cody is starting to win me over a wee bit as he's probably the best babyface the pure the best babyface in wrestling at this current time yeah, you're not the only one. Like he's he's definitely won me over. You know, he's focusing more on his own development. He's focusing on his feud with MJF, and I think with the the abandonment of the, of the Nightmare Collective, I think it's actually sort of won people over with how Brandy's coming across as the the supporting wife. You know, to help her husband she out. Was, she was always good in that. She was that. She, that's where she they got the best out of her on screen. Mm-hmm. Has been the valley to go. I mean, we're not going to be here to say oh women should just be relegated to valet robes. Not at all, but, no. But when you looked at how she'd done it as Cody's valet, compared to when she was leading that heel stable, it's night and day. It's the best. Yeah. Tra- it's, it's a great transformation in the space of a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did you make of the interactions between them and MJF on the outside? Because there was a little bit of a moment where you think, oh, is Arn Anderson going to turn on Cody as well? Uh, <laughs> it's a, it's, it adds a bit to it because... Arn Anderson came into it at this point where um, obviously Brandy was doing the Nightmare Collective. Mm-hmm. So they brought Anderson in, in that kind of role that she had been playing with it, with Cody. Uh-huh. So it kind of adds into the fact that, you know, does he need both of them? You know, and if, if, if Arn was to turn on Cody, that could be an interesting dynamic for uh, the pay-per-view. Mm. Like, see, I wonder if that might be the case at Revolution, you know, because there was a tease of it. But, you know, MJF, you know, he was the, the butt of, like, spots on the outside where he gets the cage door slammed in his face. He gets hit with a chair by Brandy and then he gets knocked into the into the crowd. So, yeah. I mean, it's good to see that he got involved in some aspect without taking too much attention of the way of the match. But I think we have to talk about, you know, the closing moment of this match. That epic moonsault from the top of the cage. Oh, it was, it was lovely. Uh, obviously, the landing... Not the cleanest landing in the world. If you want to be picky, I'm not going to be picky. I like that. Uh, reminded me so much a wee bit of uh, Kurt Angle back in the days. Yeah. You know, the moonsault he hit on that. Was it a particular. It was a Roy, did it on, I believe, David, all these years ago. 
That's right, yep. And it was yeah. against uh, a certain someone that yeah. we'll not mention. Oh, you can mention something. Mean, just don't, just don't, it was against Chris Benoit. Chris Benoit, but, yeah, Chris Benoit. Yeah, it was a fantastic moment in that match, you know. And it was, I liked it because it made it feel like Cody had to pull out all the stops to do it. And mm. was you can't really pull out the stops more in a cage match than leaping from the top of it in a moonsault, you know. Yeah. It, was a, it was a fantastic moment. And, you know, Cody is giving off the feel that it means something to him to get revenge on MGF and mm-hmm. you're really buying into it and it, I'm I'm intrigued I'm intrigued how they're going to go at Revolution if Cody's just going to get the win or if they're going to prolong it and have MGF pull out something dastardly to beat Cody again and maybe it's, you know extend the feud in some way well they've still got a go home show to to fill in so here's hoping that you know maybe they'll add an extra dimension to it and maybe that'll give us a better idea of where they're going to go with it but that was AEW in quite a lot of detail, actually. And I think the one match in particular next week that I'm looking forward to is Pac versus Kenny Omega in that 30-minute Ironman match. It's a match you don't really need a lot of build for, David. It's uh, two fantastic wrestlers going at it for 30 minutes straight. Uh, you don't need... You could do, they could have a poor, you know, hour and a half on this show, but these two could kill it and people will be raving about the show. It's going to be a great match, I think. Yeah. It's going to be a brilliant go-home show uh, on the build to Revolution. But now let's jump to NXT now, off to Full Sail University. And you know what? Again, it's the it's the hangover show from TakeOver Portland. I don't think we were expecting, you know, a great deal of stuff to come out, but we did get to see a lot of talent getting showcased. Now, your number three undisputed moment for this week is the spot between Keith Lee and Dominic Dijakovic in the sort of Fallout promo. And we've done, I think a lot of people have done this as the, the Fight Forever promo. Yeah. So could we possibly see these guys go at it again? And if so, in what way do you think they're going to fight forever? See, I was a bit... See, when I first heard about this square off between these two again, David, I was a bit torn at because they've obviously fought so many times. Mm-hmm. The match they had at Portland would have been a fantastic way to blow off the feud for now. So for them to instantly kind of talk about doing it again, I wasn't sure about it. But upon watching the segment uh, today, I I was a, lot, a bit more sold on it a bit more because I feel like we could see a different side of Dijakovic. Mm-hmm. Because I think... Dijakovic's proven himself to be fantastic against these big men. In particular, him and Keith Lee could have a match every week, and it would be great. Yeah. Uh, they've, had like five, they've had five-star classics uh, on TV and on takeovers, so I don't think I would be disappointed to see them go at it again. But they need to either add a new dimension or you know have a, a stipulation match. Definitely, David. They have a fantastic match on a Evolve show on a, a WrestleMania weekend a couple of years ago. You should hunt it out. It's apparently amazing, but. Mm-hmm. Dijakovic needs a lot more character development than Keith Lee does. Uh, Keith Lee oozes charisma. He's an absolute. He seems like an. It seems like a guy I'd love to go for a, fight, a few pints with. He looks oh. like a fantastic, a fantastic guy. He, Dij- he, just, he just smiles all the time. I think he'd be a great laugh. Yeah, Dijakovic I think needs a few more layers. So if they're going to do this again, they need a wee bit more layers. They need Dijakovic to maybe show a bit more of a mean streak because he has been a heel against Lee, but mm-hmm. it's really just been. We're having a match here. This match was great. We'll have the match here again. Then they had the match and eventually led to Dijakovic teaming up with Lee. So yeah. Dijakovic needs to be a lot more sinister, I think, to kind of do something. Because, and then 
you could have a bit more believability that he could beat Keith Lee mm -hmm. and he could do it in a big match at Tampa. Oh yeah, I think that'll be their next, I think that'll be the final sort of blow off is that they'll do it for WrestleMania weekend. But you're right about Dijakovic's character, it needs that mean streak, something that will give him a definitive heel persona. Because I think, personally, I think he works better as a heel. As a face, you know, he was sort of like, meh. But again, even then, you know, he's, he didn't really sort of change his demeanor or his attitude. So if yeah. he has that definitive heel character, he can definitely be a standout. But I think so, yeah. Let's spare a moment for Kona Reeves as well. Oh, what's his what's his what's his nickname again? <laughs> uh, I forget now. <laughs> I the finest, the finest, finest. Yeah, I was going to say just put him with the the, the Forgotten Sons because I've basically forgotten about him now. David, I'm not going to lie. The most baffling Kona Reeves related moment I've ever heard was a few was one of the episodes of Four Way Fatal you did with Gary and yep. Gary Gary praised him in a segment. I'm like. Kona Reeves are you watching? <laughs> well, in all fairness, I did kind of praise him as well, like, because this was a good way to sort of showcase them on NXT UK a bit. Oh, but he's but, never been good. No, no, no disrespect I, to him, he's never been good. <laughs> uh, he's, uh, I think he's definitely lost in the shuffle with the full sale crowds, definitely. But uh, let's let's jump to my number three undisputed moment. Now, you had this as your number two as well, so we're killing two birds with one stone here. It was the NXT Cruiserweight Championship match between Jordan Devlin and Leo Rush. Now, we've obviously talked before about how Jordan Devlin is uh, sort of carrying the championship between three different brands now, uh, Full Sail NXT, NXT UK, and 205 Live. Mm -hmm. Do you think, um, you know, he's not much more, he's not much of like a high-flying cruiserweight uh, compared to guys like Leo Rush and Angel Garza, but do you think this sort of slow, methodical, beatdown approach, do you think that kind of reminds him of when Neville was cruiserweight champion a bit? Uh, he's a he's, he's a different type of demeanor from Neville's heel character. I think Neville was like you know the bastard. You know yeah. he wasn't called the bastard in WWE, but he's still a bastard. Because so, uh, obviously you can't swear. Yeah, but Devlin comes. Devlin's more cocky. Devlin's more. Devlin knows he's good. He knows he's the best guy. Mm -hmm. So I think the thing I always notice about Jordan Devlin is his that kind of knowing he's good is what his character's always been built on. Whether he's a face or a heel, we've seen him. He's been a heel pretty much his entire WWE run, but he's flipped between them both. But when he's been an OTT in progress, um, so even an ICW, so that's more his kind of style with it. And you mentioned obviously he's not a high, he's not really a high flyer. And the likes of Rushes, likes of Gaza, as far Scott are, but and he's pretty much a cruiserweight by weight alone. Mm -hmm. But that adds something different. You know, you can't just have a group of high flyers because granted a high flying cruiserweights they'll have a good match type idea but how many high flying matches can you see week after week after week after week and think right come on guys let's do something different Jordan Devlin's different he adds something extra and he's got the potential if NXT keep using him in the way they've been using him since he won that belt mm -hmm. to be a very good quality talent on that on the brand Oh, yeah, no doubt about it. And, you know, me and Gary have always been giving him praise when we talk about him on 4-Way Fatal. And I think we would argue that, you know, if he wasn't going to be winning the NXT UK Championship, that he was a surefire bet to at least hold the Cruiserweight Championship at some point. So, and we're glad that he's in this position now. My only concern is, is he going to... Well, obviously, the, the way NXT UK's format is, you do about two days of tapings over the course of, say, two days. 
but then you're able to spread it across like six to seven weeks or so. So you may see them sort of appearing quite frequently in some aspects, but obviously if you're not uh, familiar with the way you know, NXT UK's formatted, you might think, oh my God, he's going absolutely everywhere at the minute, like from over the Atlantic and stuff. But are you excited to see more of what uh, what potential feuds Jordan Devlin could have now? Yeah, I think it's interesting. Obviously, this will be something that you and Gary will talk about in the next few weeks on the 4-Way Football Show, David, but it is interesting the fact that our next NXT UK takeover, you know, is in Dublin. Is in Dublin, know, yeah. Even though... Even though Dublin's not in the UK, but let's not be pedantic about it. Uh, you remember WWE 12? They had that made-up United Kingdom stable. Sheamus was a part of that. Yeah, well, exactly. You know, it's kind of and Devlin was in the UK title tournament, so we, you can. Yeah. Let's not let's not be pedantic. It's in Dublin. You know, that's where Devlin's from. You yep. know, he's gonna get a big he's gonna get a big match on it. If he's got the cruiserweight title there, that breaks itself. He's obviously talked about he's talked online and then you know podcasts and that type of stuff about how he wants Walter, but I think a cruiserweight exhibition match could be a better use of him because there's a lot of good cruiserweights you know on that cruiserweights under the two hundred five limit on you know the UK brand. You've yep. got the likes of Travis Banks, you've got Noam Dar. They could do what they did at Worlds Collide and throw a bunch of the the, the, the full sale guys in there. Yep. So I think for a lot of what it's going to be seen with Devlin over the next few weeks could lead to that takeover in Dublin. But Tampa is, bet- uh, Tampa is between now and then, so I would love to see Jordan Devlin get a big marquee match on the Tampa pay-per-view. Yeah, I, I, I hope he does too, because you know, I think he's he's been a, a great workhorse for not just uh, NXT UK, but WWE as a whole. And yeah, he deserves that marquee match at WrestleMania weekend. But let's uh, let's just turn our attention to Leo Rush for a moment. Um, former champion, obviously, he lost it to Angel Garza and now he's lost his number one contenders match. So I guess I have to ask, you know, for a guy who's so talented uh, as a and the guy who carries himself as a, as a former champion, what's next for Leo Rush? Well, he's in the 16 karat gold tournament next WX coming up soon, David, which you can hear about on the beautiful Indie Sausage also that me and Grant did a few weeks ago. <laughs> Cheap plug. Uh, that... I know he's definitely got that coming up. That's the reason I say it. Uh, in terms of NXT, uh, I mean, I'm not too sure. Uh, we obviously talked about how he's had that kind of feud with Gaza uh, last week. I'm not sure if that's good to go about with again. It's a, it's a hard one to kind of see who he would face because he would fit in well, I guess, a lot of the guys on the roster. It's just whether he's going to have a concrete feud or they're going to continue to use him in the role they've been using him in so far. I would love to see him have some sort of feud long term with somebody uh, could imagine I guess a guy like a Roderick Strong I think that could be a nice uh, tussle to have yep definitely uh, last point before we get to our to my number two moment do you do you want to see the cruiserweights more on NXT as opposed to 205 Live uh, I forgot 205 Live is a thing <laughs> These, <laughs> this, I'm not going to lie yeah I think, there's a, I think there's a place for them on NXT more often there's a we saw two guys you may talk about David in one of your moments, I'm not 100% sure, and Raul Mendoza and Wacky Wild, mm-hmm. who were on NXT this week. Uh, Wacky Wild, the former DJZ, is a fantastic talent. He should be given a lot more of a rub, I think. Uh, you get guys like Tyler Breeze. There's a lot of great talent in there who could easily fit in on an NXT show and add something to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, to maybe 
stem away from some of the criticisms some people may have that it's quite heavy on the likes of Undisputed Era, Ciampa Gargano. So I think giving them a lot more chance in NXT would add a bit more dimension moving forward. Aye. Well, fingers crossed that you know 205 Live becomes redundant and that NXT becomes the home for the Cruiserweight division. Uh, so my number two undisputed moment, I'm going to go with the feud that's been building for a couple of weeks now, given that you know we've seen a big return. And that is the Velveteen Dream versus Roderick Strong. Now, this yes. is a match that could have easily taken place on a takeover, but I think they did the right thing by keeping it for this week's NXT as a, as a main event match. Because I think the, the Portland card was already stacked to begin with, and they needed something to sell this week rather than just have showcasing talent that wasn't on like the, the takeover. So having these two with a, a deeply personal feud with each other, you know, Velveteen Dreams sort of playing the role of uh, ravishing Rick Rude here with uh, Roddy, Roddy's family printed on his tights. I, what was your impression, you know, given the build over the cup over these last few weeks and this new sort of, dare I say, heelish approach that Dream has taken? Yeah, for what I've seen online, there's not this feud is not, but this kind of feud since Dreams came back, not been the most well received because of the whole. Oh, uh, Strong's meant to be the heel, uh, Dream's meant to be the face, and it seems to be going a bit the other way about. Uh, if you look at the match purely as a whole, I thought it was a solid match. They're both solid workers, you know. They're not going to have... They're very, very good together. Dream mm. doesn't look like he's missed a step too much, which is good. His gear, I know his gear was hiding what was underneath, but mm-hmm. he had an interesting choice of uh, attire for his first match back to Dream. I think he was raiding Nakamura's wardrobe a bit. Oh, I don't know, I wasn't 100% sure on it, but taking that aside, uh, you, you made a great point, though, David, about how they did a good job not just rushing it onto the Portland cards, because they could have done that and it would have overfilled that show. Mm-hmm. It's the same way you could think of, well, some people might say, why are AEW not putting Pac Omega on Revolution? It's like, well, Revolution's looking stacked already, so yeah. there's no, it would just look out of place. So, yeah, I'll... I'll I'm not feeling. I like. I think if Dreams was to go heel, I would like it a bit more. It maybe makes Roddy a bit look more sympathetic. But as it stands, I'm not. I'm not fully sold on it. Mm. You see, never. I think the Velveteen Dreams not really had that definitive sort of face heel dynamic. You know, the Dream is just the Dream. You know, he sort of beats to the rhythm of his own drum. Like given what he did with. Uh, you know, guys like Ricochet, Alistair Black, people were still cheering for him because he was an excellent character. And they sort of had to get him to sort of go face by default because he was getting such a good response. He even challenged Champa for the NXT title at one point. So it's not the fact that maybe it's, it doesn't matter if he's a good face or heel. He's a good character. And oh, I he's a fantastic character. Don't get me wrong about that. I think he's... I think that's all uh, he really needs. The guy, Patrick Clark, obviously plays him. Is still only, but he's still only about 24 anyway, isn't he? 24, still, yeah. Yeah, so ton of potential with him. And if he's this good at 24, imagine what he's going to be like in 10 years when he gets to define the character so much more. It's. I've. I, I, what I liked about the segment of David is the fact that it looks like it's leading into Dream being the challenger to Cole. Yep. Which I think is fantastic. Now, I, I, this thought came into my head earlier in the week after Portland had happened because. Me, yourself, and Ross both mentioned on the preview that we all thought uh, there was going to be Champa Cole again. Uh huh. So now it looks like it's going to be Dream, and the prospect of Dream <coughs> being the man to take the title 
Mm-hmm. I think it's about time because he's not had that definitive title run yet, and he's a guy who could lead the brand away from this whole out, outside of the whole undisputed era, cold champer dynamic that we've had over the last couple of years, which would be a nice refreshing change for the brand. Someone like him leading it. Yeah, totally. But I'm actually going to try and one up you on this one. Like as much as great as that booking sounds, I'm not entirely sure sold yet on a Cole Dream feud and for Velveteen to be the one to take the title because I think the rivalry between Cole and Champa isn't over just yet. And I know obviously Champa and Gargano are teasing this sort of big blow-off match. Like this, they've gone back to their blood feud a bit. Uh, but there was also some rumors floating around that obviously, you know, some matches will have to happen on TakeOver Tampa, but there's also the chance that you could have marquee NXT matches on WrestleMania, because we've now confirmed after TakeOver Portland that Rhea Ripley is going to be facing Charlotte Flair for the NXT Mm -hmm. women's title. So what if uh, Adam Cole faces Velveteen Dream at TakeOver Tampa, retains it, and then at WrestleMania, he can face whoever wins between Ciampa and Gargano. Kind of like in the same way that, you know, Undisputed Era competed in War Games, and then the very next night, Cole's defending against Pete Dunne. See, I like your logic, David. I actually think it's a nice piece of fantasy booking. But the one crack in it, which you'll probably acknowledge when I say it, is that would only serve to kind of inflate the WrestleMania card because we've seen today via a Suplex Retweet group chat that's, uh, one of our colleagues Alan McLucas shared a photo he's seen online of another rumoured WrestleMania card mm-hmm. which looks great on paper but it's a lot of matches on it how many? I think there was about 16 matches or something in it overall 16? there were 16 matches you need to look at it there's, mm-hmm. a lot of good ma- there's a lot of good matches in there but there's a lot of matches that could probably get put somewhere else to not really need to be on a WrestleMania. Mm. So, adding another NXT match, it'd be great to see two NXT matches on WrestleMania, but I don't think they need it. While as Rhea versus Charlotte looks a marquee match on its own, so they don't really, they, could, they get away with that without having to put Rhea mm. on and the next night, and it's not a match that you think you can maybe see again anytime soon. Okay. Well, as if they did Cole versus Champa again, it would just look like a match on the card because they've done it already. So if you're going to do them again, save it, because there's apparently going to be a lot more standalone takeovers this year, like we saw with Portland. Yeah. So save it for something like that. Do something different with it. Make it feel big, you know, and maybe have that be the crowning moment for Champa. But I personally think there's a lot more long-term traction for the brand if they put it on Dream. I've swayed myself on this view over the last week. You know what? (laughs) You know. You know what? I think you've just about swayed me as well because the way you've just panned it out and the fact that you've mentioned that you know takeovers are actually becoming more standalone. Mm -hmm. I I think yeah, you, you do make a solid case for it, and you know it gives NXT something to look forward to post Mania when usually WWE's in that bit of a slump. Yeah. But um, yeah. I think, you know, what we've got with Velveteen Dream versus the Undisputed Era, I think definitely there is potential going into Tampa. Uh, but let's uh, let's just turn our attention to the honourable mentions now, because I know we're getting a bit short of time. Uh, <clears throat> so we have the honourable mentions. We have uh, Caden Carter having a rematch against Chelsea Green. 
Uh, although I do think this was kind of overshadowed by Bianca Belair a little bit, don't you think? Bianca bit was great. I thought it was actually... Feel- <laughs> I get what you mean. It's kind of like they've kind of built these two having a wee mini feud over the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. So it may not have been the... If they were going to maybe throw Bianca and something like that, they could have maybe put two people in there who you're maybe... Who are not really doing as much, you know, because they want to try and put Chelsea Green over a wee bit more. Yeah, Caden Carter's been heavily featured a lot as well, and she's had a, quite a few great moments as well. Like she stood out in the Battle Royal. She got her sort of first major win against, you know, the the very heelish upstart that is Chelsea Green under the Robert Stone brand. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody needs to get him a pair of socks, by the way. I hate that. I'm glad it's not just me who thinks that. I hate the shoe. So, I, I hate yeah. the shoes, no socks thing. I hate I, it. I despise that. I think it's just ridiculous. Oh, David, that's the best thing I've heard you say all day. <laughs> <laughs> but um, this investment with Chelsea Green, do you think it's working quite well or do you think it's sort of a case of someone being pushed when they're not ready? Uh, no, I think it's time. I think it's different from because she got over before coming to WWE NXT with the hot mess gimmick, you know, mm-hmm. yep. the, un- the unhinged bride left at the altar type thing, you know, where, where she was involved with. The blade, actually, <laughs> and oh, wow. the bunny. Uh, it was the blade and the bunny. She was meant to marry uh, Braxton Sutter, but who is now the blade? So right, there's yeah. a bit of knowledge for you. Uh, so she got over with that, with that unhinged mess. So it's a completely different gimmick. So it will take time, mm-hmm. but if they put in the time with it, I think it could work because NXT. I've got as we've talked about in the past. They've got a fantastic women's division. But they need to tick over, keep ticking over these women on the lower card a wee bit. The likes of Chelsea Green, Caden Carter, could throw in Shotzi Blackheart, Zaya Lee, Zaya Lee, Mercedes Martinez. One thing I've said to, to the other guys in the team is, I feel like all the women from NXT who were in the Rumble, you could expect them to kind of be prominent features on the show this year, I think, because they wouldn't have put them in the Rumble otherwise. Yeah, totally. Like this is, you know, it's a new year, it's a new season for WWE. I think they need to sort of start thinking about, you know, getting their their marquee women on more mainstream TV, like they're doing with Shayna Baszler on Monday Night Raw, and yeah. they need to bring in that fresh new talent. That's, you know, they, they get their they get their exhibition matches every now and again, but they need to be featured more prominently in storylines and stuff. Yeah, I'd say so. And the other honourable mention we have is another tag team match. We have. Surprisingly, Grizzled Jug Veterans coming back for a full sale match against, I think we mentioned him before, uh, the Joaquin Wild and his partner being Raul Mendoza. Now, I, I, I think this was, again, a bit, of a, a bit of a squash match just to sort of showcase Grizzled Jug Veterans a bit. But how do you feel seeing them on full sale more frequently as opposed to NXT UK? Uh, I think it's well deserved. They're a fantastic tag team. One of the best tag teams that the UK's produced, I'd say. Uh, two guys that mesh fantastically together. Zach Gibson, we're now starting. If he's gonna, be, if they're gonna feature them more on NXT, we're starting to see reap the benefits of Zach Gibson's winning the second UK uh, tournament before mm-hmm. NXT UK was a thing because he's pretty much been a tag team wrestler since then. So I think his gimmick would respond well to the NXT crowd. He's a you just want to boom at times when he speaks, you know. Yeah. He's, he's got that aspects of a Brit in the in the US that the fans would hate. You know, being a Liverpool fan and all that, you know, they're, <laughs> they're, they're not they're not shutting up at how their team suddenly got good again. Oh yeah, yeah, they're, just, they're not rubbing it in at all. But Zach Gibson is just a heat magnet wherever he goes. He's like 
barring Corbin levels of heat at the minute. And, you know, I think that's really good for their tag team division because their tag teams... Uh, I, I know I've sort of sounded like a broken record here, but NXT tag team division needs a bit more life to it because it's always been about, like, Undisputed Era, the Broser weights, and, you know, that, that's about it, really. Like, well, it's it shows you how bad the division's been. No, they've got great teams in there, like the ones you mentioned, David, but it shows how like, lack of a depth they've had that the team who won the Dustage Classic was a team mm-hmm. who were thrown together. Regardless of how good they've done together, they were just a thrown together team. Yeah, and the, the promo Gibson cut at the end of the match, he's, you know, spouting his uh, grizzle, we are grizzled junk veterans soon to be recognised as the world's number one tag team. So that makes me think... You know, maybe they've jumped to full sale for a good bit now well, before maybe going back to NXT UK. Have you seen who they got a response from the promo from a, the the team who we may forget about sometimes? Yeah, you, you yeah you uh, you took the words right out of my mouth there. Um, the Forgotten Sons uh, posted a response on Twitter, and it looks like could we potentially be seeing a face turn for them? Oh God, I hope not. <laughs> I, don't, uh, I, I don't know. I'm curious about it now because you know the. People have just, like, well, as you said, people have just forgotten about them. But maybe a face turn might actually do them some good. Uh, potentially they need it, because they they kind of, they, they came into the, they had the strongest period leading into that four-way ladder match for the vacant uh, NXT Championships last year at the mm-hmm. 20, at TakeOver 25. Yep. Barely done anything since then. You know, you know there's, there could be some traction from it. Uh it's just interesting where they're kind of go with it, you know. But yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll go with it. I'll, I'll watch the match, you know. If I get to see more of uh, the veterans on NXT, I'll be happy. Yeah, let's roll with it. Let's just see where it goes. And both we're both agreed on the number one undisputed moment as well. So we're really, really in sync here. Uh, the number one moment we've both chosen is the segment with the Broserweights and the subsequent match they had with Oni Larkin and Danny Burch. Like. I honestly cannot praise NXT enough for what they've done with the Broserweights because it, it's such a really nice breath of fresh air to have a face tag team and two guys who are like chalk and cheese just mesh with each other so well. Yeah, their match with the Undisputed Era at TakeOver Portland has been universally praised. Uh, I know it's not the totem pole for ratings, but it got 4.75 stars from Mr. Meltzer from The Observer. <laughs> uh, obviously, like I say... It's not the be-all end-all of it, but it gives you a kind of barrier of just how the match went. I thought it was fantastic myself. I you agree, know, yeah. You, you got two guys, Dunn and Matt Riddle, who are absolutely fantastic. I heard this on another, something else I was listening to during the week, David, but and it really hit me hearing it. How good is Matt Riddle off a hot tag? He is outstanding on a hot tag. You know, He literally does that springboard over the ropes and he just comes out like swinging. Like, you know, that, that whole laid-back demeanour he has when he's not in the ring, like, competing in the ring, it's it's like half the battle, you know? If you can get your opponent into a much more sort of lax frame of mind, like, he comes out and does moves like that, you've, you've, you've basically lost half the battle. Yeah, and the thing is, him and Dunn, they're very, very hard-hitting guys, which is, I think, why it was a stroke of genius putting them in there against the Brit and Brawlers. Yeah, and Riddle's obviously got that MMA background as well, so you know he's going to be a hard hitter wherever he goes. Yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, you've you've spoken in the past, David, many times how you're actually quite a big fan of uh, Butch and Larkin as a team. 
Yeah, you, you, you were quite highly praising of their match with Undisputed Era a couple of years ago as well. So Takeover Chicago, I will never forget that match. Uh, like honestly, I thought this was it was just going to be a squash match. It turned out to be one of my favourite, not just Larkin and Birch match, but one of my favourite Undisputed Era matches as well. And that's kind of what made me fall in love with them as a tag team. Yeah, they're, they're very very good. I mean, if you watch uh, a lot of what uh, Larkin did before he came to WWE, was very hard hitting. You know, they're. Um, Danny Birch is a man who came up from British wrestling when British wrestling was struggling and it's fantastic to see him get a place. I, they're a tag team who, I'm, I'm, excuse my bad memory, were they in the Dusty Classic, David? I don't think they were. Not this year, not this, no. Not this year, though. They were in it previous they were in it. They were in it last year, yeah. Yeah, so I'm surprised about that, given what we've just said in one of the previous segments about how the tag team division's not good depth. When I've got a team like them in there, Mm-hmm. They could easily put them. They could be having matches with the undisputed era. They could be having matches with all the other guys as well. Be great. They have had match. They went over to UK and had them. Uh, they had well. It was on a taping. I can't remember if it was on a show yet with Gallus. I think it's on an upcoming show. I think it is on an upcoming show. Yeah. Yeah, which is a four hard hitting guys as well going at it. So they've got a fantastic place on it. It's just where they're going to be using them, but. Mm-hmm. It's a, it, it was a great first match for Dunn and Riddle to have after winning the titles. They could have chucked them yep. in there. They could have chucked them in there with a guy like, like, you know, Wild and Mendoza, just a team to give them a win. Yeah. But no, they put them in there against an established team to make them look strong. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, it did that. Both all four men looked great in this match. Yeah, they they all came across looking really well. And they did, you know, even just entering the ring, uh, you know, obviously they don't have the golf cart anymore because it got impounded. But, you know, walking through the crowd the same way, like, you know, the Street Profits do on Monday Night Raw, I think that was a nice addition. You know, it shows a bit more engagement with the crowd, you know. It it doesn't really seem like sort of Pete Dunne's style almost. You know, he's just sort of focused more on the competition. But to see him in this role, you know, actually going out and engaging with fans during the Bro Fests, I think this is a really nice addition to his character as well. Yeah, he's he's looked... You know, the one thing about Dunn, we all admit, Dunn's a great wrestler. But during his time, towards the end of his run as the UK champion, he just kind of... It didn't feel like he was having too much development. He just looked like a guy who would go out there and beat you up and wrestle, which is what he was good at. So coming to the mainstream NXT... To stand out from the crowd a wee bit, you need to do some sort of development on it. You know, you can't just be a fantastic wrestler because there's so many great wrestlers on the brand. Yep. So him being this whole reluctant man to Matt Riddle's eccentric, amazingly charismatic character, it's kind of helped bring something different out in Pete Dunne. Mm-hmm. And I think it's something which will help Dunne in particular whenever the time comes that the two of them will go their separate ways because I think when they go back to singles Riddle will be fine just done needs to do something that kind of sets them out from the shuffle and yep. hopefully over this time as tag team champion he'll develop something that will enable him to do so uh, he's definitely in a great position and I'm, I can't wait to see where they go from here but and also according to Riddle apparently he partied so hard that uh, he failed the, the wellness policy violation which I think was a really nice uh a bit of, of a, a fourth wall break as well. He's he's different, Matt Riddle. You know that's been something about. Him. He looks like a guy. There's been a lot of comparisons recently that he's like a young Randy Orton was in terms of the fact that he just does what he does, does not care, 
with all the stuff of him calling out Goldberg and Lesnar, he just does not care who, who rubs the wrong way a wee bit. Yeah. But the most important thing from Cult at the moment is one guy who's got the backing off is Triple H. Mm-hmm. And as long as he continues to get the backing of Triple H at this particular time, he will be a great presence in NXT. He's a guy, if you look at NXT, uh, they've got a, a great bit of traction the last couple of years from the Undisputed Era, from Johnny Gargano, from Tommaso Ciampa. But going forward in the next year, they need to position the likes of Dream, the likes of Dunn, the likes of Riddle, even guys maybe like you know a Damien Priest or something like that. Position these guys into the role. Jordan Devlin's another one, actually. Get them in the roles. Killian Dane. Yeah, there's so many of these type of guys. Get them into prominent roles so that by this time this year, you could think, well, NXT does not just need Undisputed Era, which, are, which a lot of people who criticise NXT will say that they just need Undisputed Era. They don't need these guys. They can rely on all these other guys and help push NXT to another level. Yeah, absolutely. I think couldn't have said it better myself. So... That was our undisputed moments uh, for this week. And I think we'll, on that note, we'll wrap up this week's show. So overall, did you enjoy both shows this week? I thought both shows were good. NXT, as we said, nothing stand out from it. Uh, We'll probably start seeing a lot more stuff coming up in the coming weeks. uh, Which probably gave AEW the edge for me for one of the first times because they've got the momentum that NXT would have had the last couple of weeks. And they're taking it, and so I'll be interested to kind of interesting to kind of analyze the difference in the shows in two weeks' time, mm-hmm. where maybe the kind of tails will flip. But both shows had an increase in ratings this week, so in America, so people yep. are enjoying what they're seeing. Uh, I'm enjoying both of them, so I can't complain as a fan. As am I, yeah. I think we're on to something really special here at the in the early stages of 2020, and I here's hoping everything picks up on the road to WrestleMania and to Revolution. <laughs> So on that note, uh, we'll wrap it up here. Thank you for listening to Wednesday Night Wars this week. Just to sort of recap where you can listen to all our great content, make sure you're uh, subscribed to us. Uh, Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet, which is our main channel. We've got new content coming out every Thursday. Or you can catch us on this feed, Suplex Retweet Extra, on Spotify, Anchor, iTunes, and all good other Android podcasting sites. Don't forget to follow us on social media, Twitter and Instagram at Suplex Retweet. And don't forget to join our community page on Facebook. Just search Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. Uh, And all that remains for me to say is thank you again, Stevie, for joining me for Wednesday Night Wars. Thank you, David. It's a pleasure. Yeah, this has been Suplex Retweet Extra. I've been David Hockney, and we'll see you next time.